without any further ado, we're going to start Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 today, and beginning in verse 1, with point number 1, which I have entitled, You Were Dead. You Were Dead. And it says, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Right here, Ephesians 2.1, if this is not highlighted in at least three different colors and circled with pencil and underlined in pen, you need to do something about that. Because this is one of the most profound and powerful statements in the entire Bible. You, He made alive. Period. See, God is the giver of life. In Him we have life abundantly. And see, the abundance of life is not found in a world where life runs out, but it's rather in a kingdom that is eternal in the heavens. See, God gave us physical life. He breathed breath into us, and His eyes saw our substance even being yet unformed, as it says. In Psalm 139, verse 16, the psalmist writes and says, speaking to the Lord, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book... They all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How amazing is the work of God that even before there was a world to live days in, God saw who we were. And in His book, every day of our lives was written down. God saw us. See, our very existence, Christian or not, is by God. For He breathed life into us. I mean, this is why, especially I think for us as Christians, we value life for God created it and He values it. This is why we protect life and even fight for life because life is a precious gift from God. And every person that has ever lived on the face of this earth is currently alive or will live sometime in the future has been given life by God even as the first man was given life by God whom we know as Adam. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and listen to this, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That gives me chills when I read that. There was a human body with all the components of our physiology, but it says God breathed life into Him. God breathed life into you and into your family, into your children. He breathed life into your friends. He breathed life into your boss that you may not like, and He breathed life into the people that even rejected Him. See, God alone is the giver of life, yet there is something more valuable than a temporal, physical life. And that is an eternal spiritual life. When it says here in verse 1 that He made you alive, I think it's understandable that you once were dead. And if you don't think that that's implied, well then you just need to read the rest of the sentence where it says, you He made alive who were dead. He states that you were dead having fallen from the original state of the creation of mankind. Mankind slipped down the slide of sin, if you will, missing the mark of God's holy standards for righteousness, and thus death entered into the world. 
Here where it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins, I think it's interesting to understand some highlights from the original language, which means this, that word dead, properly lifeless, destitute of life, without life, spiritually dead. And then here's the real interesting part of this definition for even that word dead in the Greek language is it's described as being destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God. You were dead spiritually. He is not speaking to somebody that is dead physically. Because that would be moronic. Why would I be speaking to a person that's dead or writing a letter for a dead person to read? He's saying, you He made alive who were dead. You who were destitute of a life that recognizes and is devoted to God. That's who we were before our faith in Jesus. We were destitute of spiritual life. We did not recognize God as our Lord. We did not live a life devoted to Him. Trespasses, it says here. To fall behind, or really to fall beside something. To slip. You slipped off of the path. Sin, to miss the mark, as you know in the Old English, the Old King James, it just meant that you didn't hit the bullseye when you shot the arrow. You missed the mark and they would say, sin. See, the bullseye was God's perfect righteousness and we missed the mark. All too often though, if you can have a conversation with somebody where they'll acknowledge that they may have done things that are wrong and they may even go as far as saying that they're sinful, Often, when it comes to understanding man's sinful condition, we get off track even before we get started. You don't catch a dead in sin condition as you go along in life like you caught the flu bug one Christmas. You were born with it. You were born dead in sins. You might even wonder, okay, well, if I was born and, you know, was this something that I received from my parents? Well, maybe, but listen, what did you do? To be born in sin? What did you do to acquire such a thing? You were born. That's it. Period. You started a life here on this earth. And somehow, society has bought into the lie that you can make yourself alright. You can help yourself. God helps those that help themselves. You know, you need to take control of your destiny. You need to think positively. You need to go to self-help seminars. You need to be able to fix your sinful condition. You can't fix your sinful condition by good deeds and by having good intentions. Now, I've wondered about this. Maybe you have, and maybe you'll think, oh, that's interesting, and maybe it will plague you for the rest of your life. I'm sorry about that. But have you ever wondered who the very first person was that said you could get to heaven by being a good person? Man, I wish we could go back in time and just smack that guy. Because he has caused so much problems. So much Issues have come from this idea. Man, who decided that you could be a good person to fix your dead and sinful condition? You're dead in sins and your depraved condition. 
See, only God has the power to forgive sins. Only God can cure man's sinful condition. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what you try to do. Doing good deeds to fix your sinful condition is as ludicrous as, you know, back in the early you know, 1800s where you'd have these peddlers that would you know, sell you these magic potions and these elixirs. You know, this will grow hair on a billiard ball, you know, or whatever. And people would buy into those things. It's ridiculous. See, we're born dead in our sins, and so we walk according to the lusts of our sinful nature, and it's just normal. That's just what we do. And those that are controlled by their sinful natures are doing exactly what the prince of the power of the air, whom we know as Satan, would have them to do. Before Christ, we conducted ourselves sinfully. We fulfill our desires sinfully. We're children of wrath predisposed to sin, predisposed to face the wrath of God. You know, a lot of times in the church we'll attack the symptoms of sin. And we'll talk about behavior modification. And you've heard me use that phrase before. You know, and often we'll say you shouldn't be doing this or we're against that. And the issue is sin. And sin manifests itself in many different ways, does it not? You know, and we might see this person having sin affect them in this particular way. And this person over here might have sin affecting them in a different way. But the issue is sin. Oh, we're against this, and we're against that, and we're against this. And what if they change those things? What if they stop lying? What if they really made sure they were telling the truth? Is that going to make them right before God, or do they still have an issue of sin? See, the issue is still sin. It's like if you had a brain tumor, God forbid, and you were given, you know, a very strong Advil so that your headaches would go away. The headaches might go away for a little bit, but the root of the problem is still there. And the, and the same thing applies for mankind. The cancer is sin, and it destroys every single person. You cannot fix yourself. And once you're in sin, there's no getting out. That's the unfortunate thing. See, once I'm in sin, I can't get out of it by myself. I would love to be able to have Batman's grappling gun and shoot it out, and then I would come launching out of sin. I would love to be able to somehow pile up stones of good deeds to climb out of the pit of sin. But it doesn't work like that. Many of you have heard of a tremendous man of faith. His name is Ravi Zacharias. He has a great, great ministry and he goes to different colleges. He's a very intellectual guy, but he's on fire for the Lord. And he said this on the subject, and I quote, The Christian faith, simply stated, reminds us that our fundamental problem is not moral. Rather, our fundamental problem is spiritual. It is not just that we are immoral, but that a moral life alone cannot bridge what separates us from God. Herein lies the cardinal difference between the moralizing religions and Jesus' offer to us. Jesus does not offer to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. End of quote. And that is the difference. Religion apart from Christ would seek to make immoral moral and bad good. But it never will tell you it will make that which is dead alive. No one apart from God can make the dead alive. No one apart from God can make the spiritually dead born again. 
Like Jesus said, you must be born again. See, in John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. In John 3, 16, you know it says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then in John 3, verse 36, it says, And he who believes in the Son... He who believes in Jesus has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. And in John 5, 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but get this, but has passed from death into life. This is what we're talking about here today. You were dead in sins, but through faith in Jesus, you've been made alive spiritually. So often when you even discuss religion, if you discuss morality, it stays on a superficial level. Jesus goes past the superficial and He actually deals with heart. The intentions of the heart, our motivations. He says you may not have committed the act, but you wanted to in your heart. That is sin. Religions will talk about changing your behaviors. It'll talk about being more more kind or good or moral. But it will never deal with the issue of, hey, I'm dead in my sins even if I'm a nice person. Or even if I stop cussing. Or if I stop stealing. Or if I change, you know, my sexual practices and I just wait till I get married or whatever it might be. Like, you don't understand. All of those things are superficial and they don't deal with the issue of being dead in sins. No one deals with that except for Jesus. And that's why we who were dead have been made alive. So you were dead. I was dead. But God made us alive. Point number two is you lived sinfully. So number one is like you were dead and you lived sinfully. In verse two, it says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, I love traveling for one reason is that I get to meet a lot of great people, especially in the church circles where you get to meet a lot of guys that are doing the work of the ministry in different states and even in different countries. That's awesome. I do not like being away from my wife and kids. I'm more of a a homebody, so I like kind of being at home and seeing them. So that's kind of the downside of that. But one of the cool things that I've seen even just recently and maybe it's just right on the forefront of my mind, is that you, no matter where you're from, you see a change in a person's life when they have faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter if they say, hey, what's up, y'all? It doesn't matter if they're from Texas. It doesn't matter if they're from the inner city. It doesn't matter if they're from Irvine. It doesn't matter if they're from India. We talked about different things that we were doing. It doesn't matter if they're from Mexico. Somebody that has faith in Jesus is a changed person. They're changed. And rightfully so, for there should be a difference between a person that is dead and a person that is alive. The person that is dead in sin is under the control of Satan who is working in the world, and specifically those that are sons of disobedience, as the Bible tells us here in verse 2. Something to note as well, because the picture that we have in the Bible is God being our Father, our Heavenly Father. 
For some of us, that relationship is completely obliterated with our earthly father, and so we have a hard time thinking, how can I have a relationship with a heavenly father when I didn't have a good relationship with my earthly father? And I might just say as a side note for something for you to think about is everything that you may have wanted in a father and wish that you had in the father is found in your heavenly father. And we see this picture that we become his sons, we become his daughters, his children. Here in verse 2, we see the first mention of this relationship, but not the type that we want to have. The first mention here we see is sons of disobedience. In verse 3, we'll see children of wrath. So, sons of disobedience. The devil works through man's disobedience to God. He loves working through man's disobedience to God. And that disobedience to God, quite frankly, and if we're just fair, is normal to the person that is dead spiritually. We're not here to, to, to bash somebody. We're not here to put somebody down. The reality is that if we're dead in our sins, we will live according to our sinful desires. And that's just the way that it goes, and that's normal. How can a person that is dead spiritually understand the things of God and the things that pertain to spirituality when they're spiritually closed off to those things? And when you are dead spiritually, you just continue on the course of the world, on the course of the world. And unfortunately, what most don't realize is that that course is heading straight to hell. People don't want to hear that and they don't like that because they would like to do whatever they want to do and think that there's no consequences to it. But that's just not the way that life works. For those of you that are golfers here, I'd love to consider myself a golfer, except I am the worst golfer on the face of the earth. For those that are golfers, living sinfully is just par for the course. Par for the course of life in this world. Some stay on the front nine. Some stay on the back nine. Some are playing full rounds. Some are all over the place. But the world is on a collision course headed straight to the lake of fire. And when you sin, you don't get to yell, Four! Satan. Has the steering, <laughs> he has the steering wheel. Like I was thinking, you know, like you've seen those movies where you know they have something that's you know pushing down the gas pedal, and they wrap like their belt. It's like some secret mission. They wrap their belt around you know the steering wheel, and they lock it so it just goes straight, and then they jump out or whatever. You know, that's exactly what Satan's doing with this vehicle that the world is on through being disobedient to God. It is on one. It has one one end zone. And there is one point that it is going to. And the enemy, Satan, the enemy of our souls, is trying to load as many people on the back of that truck as he possibly can. And it is heading straight to destruction. But you he made alive. You he made alive. He opened your eyes to see that there was an alternative life to the simple one that you were living. How amazing. You mean there's another way of living? You know what's interesting about even this alternative life to the sinful one? See, the alternative, really the alternative that you see when you're in sin, living in the sinful lifestyle, is that the original life that God intended for us before the sinful world, before the sinful fall of mankind began, that alternative is actually the original. That's the original. 
When you're in sin and you're just living after the lust of the flesh and your eyes are open, you see, man, I need a Savior. I have blown it. I, I, I know there's something more. That alternative was actually the original plan for mankind. You're actually getting back to the original intention of God's creation. See, without Jesus, we're not only dead spiritually, but we live according to our dead spiritual life and we live sinfully and it is absolutely normal. But that way leads to death. That lifestyle leads to destruction. And that was us. That was you. That was me before faith in Jesus. It says in verse 3, whom, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now, on the subject of looking at how the alternative to a sinful lifestyle is actually the original intention for God's creation, I found that very fascinating because in verse 3 where it says, once conducted, that can actually be translated to turn upside down or to behave oneself. And what's interesting about both of these uses, whether it's just once conducted or to turn upside down, this phrase is exactly descriptive of what happens with sinful man. And that they take the physical body and the physical appetites that God created. Remember, He breathed life into you. And they turn God's purpose for that physical body upside down. Backwards. Reversed it. They behave themselves in a manner that continues down a path of perverting God's creation, fulfilling sinful desires, leading to the wrath of God. And what a contrasting point when John writes that those who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God versus those because of their sinful desires, their nature, their fulfilling the sinful commands of their flesh have become sons of disobedience influenced by Satan in this world and children of wrath. Do we want sons of disobedience? Sounds like a biker game. Or do we want children of God? Do I want children of wrath? Or son or daughter of the king? Hopefully that's a no-brainer. It says here in verse 3, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So we're, we're perverting the desires. We're perverting our nature. It says we're fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And then it says end of the mind. Being pure mentally is so important because what we allow to affect our minds affects how we control our emotions and our actions. Things that come into our mind. The psalmist said in Psalm 101, verses 3-4, through I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness. You know, it's hard in this day and age to not know wickedness, isn't it? I mean, really, you can't, and I've said something to this effect before, but I mean, I seriously, you can't even scroll through like Facebook or Instagram or even Twitter 
without seeing something that pops up and you're just like, what in the world? I don't want to see that. You may not be watching those movies on Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu or whatever, but they're in your suggestion, you know, the suggestion box area. Or others have watched movies that watch the same movie that you watch and the cover alone is enough to burn your eyes. He's like, I don't want to be seeing that stuff. You got to be careful. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 22 and 23, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And for those of us that have come out of lifestyles and things where we were living according to the lust of the flesh, we see that now. Or if we've ever been in contact with other people or find ourselves in an environment, you can feel the oppression there. For those that have come out of, you know, clubbing and partying and that whole club scene and how quickly you get desensitized to it. I remember there was somebody that was very close to me that was in a very bad spot and was inside a club and we needed to go in and get them out. And we went in there and I was just absolutely, you could just feel like this pressure all around you from people that were drinking and explicit music and people doing sexual things all around you. You're just like, what in the world? And this becomes an everyday common thing for some people. But when you come out of those things, you realize this was wickedness. This was darkness. Now, if I could ask you just a real simple question, in your estimation, what's the crowning mark of a good lamp? For maybe some of the ladies, they might say, well, it goes with my decor. It looks nice. For the guys, they might just say, uh, gives off light. Yes. So even as a lamp brings forth its singular purpose of lighting a room, your eye has a singular purpose of bringing forth light to your mind. And if the lamp of the body, your eye, Jesus said, is evil, which means it's not fulfilling its purpose of a lamp to bring light into your mind and it's bringing forth darkness, that light shining in you is darkness. Man, you're in trouble. In Philippians 4.8, it says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report. If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, let those things come into your mind. Think upon those things. Because our mind generates emotions. And emotions generate actions. And as a follower of Jesus, we cannot have anything impeding our thought process because in our mind is where it all begins. That's why Paul said, don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, verse 2, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you as your own person, as a follower of Jesus, may prove what is that good, may show what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometime back, we studied the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5.16. It says, walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And I feel like we need that every single day. Lord, help me to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If you're in sin here today, and it might be like, whoa, that was heavy. You just ask that question or just preface what you're about to say. If you're in sin here today, you know that it's exhausting. It wears you out. It'll starve you spiritually. 
It'll make you enslaved. It'll enslave your thoughts, your feelings, and your actions. It will lead you so far to the point where you start believing the lies of Satan. You might even start rationalizing your sin. You might be on such a slippery slope that you're going, I don't even know how I got here. You may try to explain away your actions as if you've been given a license to do such things or you know, uh, you're justified in them. If we're walking in the Spirit, we will not be carrying out the commands of our sinful nature. I hope you remember that from our study. Because the sinful nature wants you to listen. It wants you to be, sir, yes, sir. Go do this, sir, yes, sir. I'm going to carry out whatever command my flesh is saying that I need to carry out. But see, when it says, you who were dead, he made alive. You, He made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. When you once walked according to the lust of the flesh, you were under the control of the prince of the power of the air who works through the sons of disobedience. You used to live like that. You were a child of wrath. Your disobedience was placing you not under the, the, the spout of God's grace, but really where God's wrath will fall. If we're walking in the Spirit, we will not be carrying out the commands of our sinful nature. As a Christian, that should startle some of us. Because sin and the lust of the flesh demand to be carried out. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Don't we want to live lives as followers of Jesus where we can say, that was the old me? Don't we want to say, I once did those things, I'm ashamed to say. I once lived like that. But God. You know, I used to do those things. I've been there. I've done that. I've seen it. I've felt it. I've experienced it. And that's not who I am anymore. What do you mean that's not who you are anymore? Maybe just recently last week, somebody hit you up on Facebook and said, hey, you want to go do this, this, and that? We haven't hung out in a long time. And you said, oh, Hey, I thank you for the invite. It's great to you know, see you doing well via social media or whatever it might be, but you know, that's not who I am anymore. I don't do those things anymore. They might look at you like, what in the world? Are you out of your mind? You're crazy. What, what happened? It's just not who I am. Because I once was dead and now I'm alive. I once was dead in sin, but God made me alive. So I have a physical body which has been breathed life into by God. But my spiritual man was dead. And then He made me alive spiritually. Even as He gave me life physically, now through faith in Jesus, I live spiritually. I am not a child of wrath. I am not a son or daughter of disobedience. I am a child of God. I feel like if you've grown up in church, we take for granted all of these truths. I know I did. I've heard it a million times. And we have no idea the significance of what we're even talking about, what we've read, what we've heard Bible studies on, what some pastor has shared. We have no clue. We were dead, but He made us alive. We lived sinfully, but we've been changed. We've been changed. I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm not carrying out the commands of the flesh. See, when we placed our faith in Jesus, something happened. 
And you know what's interesting? We're all in the same boat. All of us. Me. You. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of His standards. We were all born with a sinful nature. We all used to live according to the lusts of the flesh. We all did that before faith in Jesus. We were dead in our sins. We walked the worldly way of life. We were disobedient to God and Satan, the prince of the power of the air, worked through our disobedience to God. We lived according to the lusts of our flesh. We carried out the commands of our flesh, fulfilling its desires. We were children of wrath but we were made alive. And we're going to study all about that next week, beginning in verse 4. As you look in your Bibles again in, Galatians, excuse me, in Ephesians. Verse 1, chapter 2, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, Flipping God's intentions backwards, upside down, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. And then in verse 4 it says, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved. And that's what we're going to be studying next week. So I encourage you, read over that passage of Scripture before next Sunday, and we'll get together and we'll study all about that little conjunction that says, but, but God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you, God, just for the simple truth of understanding that we were dead in sin and you made us alive. So Lord, may we live like living people. May we live like those that are spiritually alive, not spiritually dead. I thank you, Lord, that it is not about trying to make immoral people moral or bad people good. It's about making dead people alive. And so, Lord, thank You that it's through Your grace that we've been saved through faith and it's not of works lest anyone should boast. Thank You that we have this hope in You. And with every eye closed and head bowed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you are in that place of being dead in your trespasses and in your sins and having heard these things today, maybe you would like to give your life to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins and be made alive spiritually. If that's you here today, I'd like to give you that opportunity very simply. If you want it, it's available for the asking. It's made possible through faith in Jesus. And so if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and you'd like to be forgiven of your sins, whether you're here in person or watching online somewhere, then would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I'd like to give my life to Jesus today. And I'm going to lead you in a very simple prayer of receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Would you please repeat after me if that's your desire and say, Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I have sinned 
But I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I thank you that you have forgiven me of all my sin. Would you fill me with your love and your joy and your peace? For I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done here today. May you continue to lead us and guide us in the way that we should go. And may, Lord, you bless your people and bless your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. May the Lord bless you and keep you today. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. And may it guard your heart and your mind throughout this week as you serve him. God bless you. Let's worship the Lord.